15th of January 2009 at 3.25 p.m. local time. And the Airbus A320 took, up, took off from New York's LaGuardia Airport. At 3.27, it flew through the path of a flock of Canada geese. And both engines were shut down. At 3.31 p.m., the aircraft made an unpowered ditching in the Hudson River. There were 155 people on board. And not a single life was lost. Later on, an NTSB board member called the ditching the most successful in aviation history. These people knew what they were supposed to do, and they did it. And as a result, no lives were lost. Captain Chelsley B. Sullenberger, known as Sully, became an instant hero. However, during the course of the investigation, some, pe some doubt arose as to whether Captain Sullenberger and his co-pilot, Jeffrey Skiles, had done the right thing. This happened because several flight simulations found that it may have been possible for the plane to successfully return to LaGuardia Airport and land there. But Captain Sullenberger, an experienced pilot, would have nothing of it. And so I want to watch, I want you to watch with me a video clip of an interaction between him and the board that investigated from a really great movie called Sully. Why don't you watch with me?
We may imagine that our lives are not like that. We may imagine that we are not pilots. And we may think that really what we do every day doesn't matter as much as what they had to do matters. But the truth is that you and I, as God's children, are called to live a real faith in a real world every day. A real faith that demonstrates to people the love of God and that God himself's desire is that they be saved and that their lives don't come to a crashing end, that their lives are not meaningless, that their lives have a purpose, and they can have an eternal relationship with God. Let's get serious now. Our lives matter. And the way we live our lives don't just matter to us. They matter to the world around us and the souls that God has given us to be on our journey with us. Earlier this year, we said that this year, one of the themes we would be leaving, leaning into is that our family's determined purpose will be to deeply and intimately know Christ. Our family's determined purpose would be to deeply and intimately know Christ. We got that from the elders, when they met together, got that from a passage in Philippians chapter 3. And in the Amplified Bible, it reads like this. For our determined purpose is that we may know him, that we may positively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. And that we may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection. And that we may so share his suffering as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. That may sound like a slogan. That may sound just like a nice thing to say because there's the kinds of things churches should say. But can we get serious now? Can we get serious now? Imagine what the world would look like if that happened. Imagine if our determined purpose was to know Jesus Christ in all his fullness and and we could do it 
in a life-changing and life-saving way. So that a lost and hurting world, so that people who do not know God loves them can come to understand that he does love them. And then when life comes crashing down, no souls will be lost. That passage was written by a man called Paul. A man who took his relationship with God really seriously. And he's, he's communicating with a young guy by the name of Timothy. And he says, Timothy, I, w- I want to tell you some of the things that you need to get hold of. If you're going to know God in all of his fullness. If you're going to be somebody who lives in their relationship with God that in such a way that not only changes them, but changes the world around them. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says this to the young Timothy. The Spirit clearly shows that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which, te- which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Let's get serious now, says Paul to Timothy. Let's get serious now. Let's talk about how you, Timothy, can have a real faith in a real world. How are you a normal human being can change the world around you? Let's face it, we're humans and we'd rather live in the video game, wouldn't we? We're humans and somehow we'd rather just make our faith theoretical. It's easier to do that. I know, I I'm like that too. So that it doesn't matter. It can be a simulation. And we can get a go around again. But Paul says to Timothy, you can't do that, Timothy. You're living out here in a world that is lost and hurting. And you have to learn how to have a faith that when push comes to shove, it shows a real God in a real world. Let's go back to that passage and and look at a few very real things that Paul has to say to Timothy about cultivating a true faith, a faith that saves lives. First thing he says 
is that a true relationship is a work of the Spirit. Now, to be honest, he doesn't say it explicitly. But right there in the beginning, he says this. The Spirit clearly says. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to go, hey, you know what? The Holy Spirit said something to me, and this is what he said. Let's be honest. Most of the time when the Holy Spirit says something to us, we go, the Holy Spirit said something, and I think it may be. I'll go and check. <laughs> you know, I'll go back and check again and again. But Paul comes from a place of going, I know the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said some amazing things to me. Today's Pentecost Sunday. And today is the day we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we have to, in our spiritual journey, begin by acknowledging the reality of the Holy Spirit. You see, later on I'm going to talk about some stuff that you and I have to do. But if we don't start that stuff with the Holy Spirit, if we don't start it in the right place, the rest of our trying is going to be pointless. We're going to try and try and try, and we're never going to get anywhere. But Paul understood this amazing reality. Because of Pentecost, Paul understood that God himself had come down in the form of the Holy Spirit, took a bunch of people who, who had a faith in Jesus, but weren't great at living it out. In fact, they were hiding in a room. They were hiding. And the Holy Spirit came on them. Acts 17, Paul, uh, Acts 2, verse 17, the writer says this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. The Holy Spirit is saying to us that I am here, that you are mine, and I will and am empowering you to do what I've asked you to do. We've just come through a series, if you were around, on the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know if sometimes you listen to those things Jesus said and just said, I can't. I wish I could, but I can't. I want you to know this, that you can. You can. Not because you're good enough, not because you can try hard enough, not because you're more disciplined than the person next to you. You can because the Holy Spirit lives in you. He is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But you've got to always start there. You've got to start with, Lord Jesus, empower me by your Spirit. God, am I in tune with your Spirit? Am I hearing you speak to me? Do I know that this is you in me? This is you telling me what to do and where to go and giving me the strength to obey you. You'll find out that what the spiritual disciplines are about is being able to do that. Being, doing the things that you and I are able to do that allow us to hear God speak to us, that enable us to live out what God has for us. 
Let's get serious now. We need the Holy Spirit. And we need to listen to Him, and we need to know He's there, and we need to embrace Him and ask Him to empower us and give us His gifts, and we need to live them out. But there's something else we need to understand very clearly from this passage. That we can abandon a relationship. That abandoning the relationship with God is a real thing. Now, I don't want you to suddenly become afraid. Because I know many people struggle with, are they saved? And And they pray again and again. And you hear me say what I've just said. And you go, no, no. No, no. I want you to hear what that passage says. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. Do you see that word abandon? It's an important word. It doesn't say some will lose their faith. I want you to know that you can never accidentally let your faith go. It cannot be taken away from you. You are eternally secure. God has saved you, and nothing in all of creation can pluck you out of God's hands. But this passage says that you can willfully abandon your faith. That's what it says. I wish it said something else. But it doesn't. It says that the human beings that once trusted God and then made a decision to no longer trust Him. And it happens because we begin to not listen to the Spirit anymore. I want to give you some good news. If you're feeling a bit of fear in your heart because of what I've just said, stop it. The reason you're feeling fear in your heart is the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And you're going, whoa, whoa. And that means he's still with you. And you're still with him. So by definition, if you're afraid of, what, of that happening, in a sense it can't happen. Because the Holy Spirit is still with you. You've never abandoned him. This is a conscious decision that people make. But it's real. And it's part of the reason you and I need to ensure that we keep walking close to God. That you are continually in step with Him. Paul also reminds Timothy that in this world, this real world that we live in, not only is abandoning a relationship with God a real thing, but fake relationships abound. You will constantly be told, there's another way. You will constantly be told, Jesus is great, but you need a little more. That's what was happening with Timothy and the church he was preaching in. People were coming and saying, you know, this Jesus thing is absolutely 100%. But also you mustn't eat this and you can eat that and you don't do that. And, and that's part of the package. And Paul says it's, it's not part of the package. It's a road that ultimately leads away from God. 
It's a road that ultimately leads, or when the plane goes down, souls are lost. We live in that world. You felt those tensions. There have been days when you've gone, is God really with me? Is this real? Do I need to do more? We've all felt them. We've all had those moments of fear, like like that crew must have had in that moment when they hit those birds, go, are we going to make this? Well, the beautiful thing is Paul says you can and you will. But, but, says Paul, a true relationship is a wonderful thing. A true relationship has value for all things. And Timothy, you can have a true relationship with God. You can be somebody who says, the Holy Spirit clearly says. But the truth is, a relationship like that doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. It's a relationship that is worked on. A relationship that, Paul says requires training. I love that phrase. It requires training. This true relationship where we know and hear and obey God clearly needs us to be trained to discern the Spirit. We need to be trained to hear the Spirit. And we need to be trained in obeying the Spirit. Training is not an odd dabble in. You know, there's a difference. I dabble in exercise. True story. I mean, and it's good for me. I walk at least twice, sometimes three times a week, about four Ks. But the truth is, I don't train. I see those oaks on the road that train, those people. They're like this. And they run 1K, you know, I mean, yeah, in four minutes. They train. And Paul says, Timothy, the truth is that that this real relationship with God, if we're going to do it God's way, is going to require training. I wonder how often those pilots who were flying that airplane on that day just were sick of the simulator, sick of going through procedures again and again and again and again at these long lists of do this, do this, do this, do this, and they sit there going, we are never going to need this stuff. Until one day they did. And then all of a sudden, they began to do all sorts of things, really without thinking about what they were doing. They just did it. Because it was in them. They had trained it into their beings. We're going to spend the next few weeks talking about training. We're going to spend the next few weeks talking about what it means to to partner with the Holy Spirit who's in us and with us and empowering us to be the kind of Christians that can live in a real world, kind of people that can say, let's get serious now. 
We're going to talk about those spiritual disciplines that enable us to connect with God. Now, there are lots of them. I'll give you a few. There's things like solitude, silence, Sabbath, fasting, confession, study, meditation, prayer, service. Now, we're not going to get to all of them. And in fact, we're only going to get to a few of them, and we're going to focus on a few that we don't normally deal with. Things like solitude. What does that do for us? But I want us to go on this adventure together. Why? Well, Paul says, first of all, we should train for righteousness because it has value for all things. When last did you do something that has value for all things? I mean, we often do things that are very valuable and important and maybe important for a lot of things. But Paul says training in righteousness, in other words, training to be godly, in other words, training to hear God speak to us has value for absolutely everything. That is one of the greatest bargains you will ever have in your whole life. One thing that has value for everything. See, it means that your everyday life will be lived at a new level. Not just for you, but for all who are around you. We mustn't just do this because it will have value for all things, as Paul clearly says. But it will also have value in a crisis. When we have to react in the moment, just like Captain Sullenberger did. When that crisis comes. I love hearing these stories of people who are robbed at home and then start praying for the people that robbed them. I've heard of that happen. It's happened to some friends of mine. I know a guy who's now a pastor because he held up another pastor in his home with a gun. And the pastor, as he left, said to him, I will be praying for you. Whoa, I hope that I'm trained enough in godliness when that moment happens, that that happens to me. But you see, training also has value in the extremes of life. When things are way out there, nobody's ever had dual engine failure at that low altitude. That's an extreme. This week I had the immense privilege of doing a memorial service for a lady called Maria Quadrocchi. She's 90 years old. In the last few months of her life, she couldn't speak sense. She couldn't communicate properly with her family. She was slipping in and out of consciousness. But right to the very end, there was one thing she could do. She could pray her old Italian prayers perfectly clearly. She got trained in them when she was little. Probably she hated it when it was happening. She was probably forced to go to church. I don't know. I don't know. But when it came to the extreme of life, the one thing she had left was something she trained in godliness when she was a young girl and practiced all through her life. Those Italian prayers that you could say clearly so that not only she could be comforted, imagine the comfort that was to her families. 
See, let's get serious, folk. We as a church, there's no flight simulator for us. The real world we live in is not a simulation. We are not here to look good and practice theoretical stuff. We are here because a world needs changing. The difference between a simulated Christian and a real one is a very real thing. And it is this. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life that enables you to train for godliness. God help us as we train together to be real Christians in a real world. God, thank you. Thank you that you are with us. Lord, thank you that you are with us in incredible ways. Lord, thank you that you don't just ask us to live a theoretical faith. But you challenge us to learn those practices that will enable us to make a real difference in a real world every single day of our lives. Lord, thank you that you yourself were a model of spiritual training. Help us to live by your model, Lord. In Jesus' name.